Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. If any of our listeners have flown before, you've probably noticed two schools of flying patrons. Those that love it and spend their time casually reading their favorite book or appear to have the best slumber of their lives, and those that have to take a Valium washed down with a swig of vino to get their heart rates back to normal pumping levels. Me personally, eh, I fall somewhere in the middle. I love flying, but when the bottom of your belly falls out from turbulence, I immediately wish I had taken that Valium. Anytime someone like the latter group gets a little anxious about the trip and the fact that you're, I don't know, 30,000 feet in the air without a parachute going around 500 miles an hour, it always helps to have the calming voice of the pilot or the easy calming nature of the flight attendant. And that right there is the focus of today's episode, the flight attendant. An airline's idea to calm its passengers has become not only a common occurrence, but a requirement for all flights. I hope your seat backs and tray tables are in their upright position because we're about to take off on this episode of The Missing Chapter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, January 13th will forever hold a very special place in our family's uh, heart because it was the day our eldest son, Andrew, came into the world. So January 13th, Andrew, you're turning double digits uh, today. And happy 10th birthday, your mom and I and your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles and your little brother, Nathan, all love you very much. It's the missing chapter. You're here with Phil Schaff and Phil Horinder. Phil, we are enjoying leftovers from uh, this past holiday season, the holiday blend provided by Utica Coffee Roasting Company. Um, another one of their their seasonal blends, um, which we really enjoy. Yeah. The seasonal blends, and you almost have to like stockpile them. Sure. Because they go away, you know, rather quickly. And if you enjoy them like we do, we like to have them. Uh, we just finished the pumpkin one from this, we did. from this past fall. And now we're getting into the Christmas holiday uh, holiday blend. It's awesome. It's um, you got some cinnamon. You got some. I mean, the the holiday mixture of right. uh, the cacophony of. Uh, I love that word. You too love I that do word. Love that word. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> what's his name from Vietnam and HD? I, with, uh, I know, and he just uh, he, just, he, just he just passed, passed away. away. I know it. Oh shoot, that's gonna eat me up. Halfway through this, I'm just gonna blurt out a name. It's the guy from the documentary that we show the kids. <laughs> But uh, Phil, I, I love yeah. the topic of your podcast for today because, uh, as our listeners uh, will, will hopefully remember, we've been talking about uh, we, we took a recent trip to Nashville, and obviously lots of, of connecting flights and, and flights to and from. We had some really good experiences, in particular um, with our stewardesses. Um, but you're getting into a, a great story surrounding, you know, some of these first kind of uh, pioneers in this field. Now, I couldn't tell if you were being sarcastic or not because the... Well, there was sarcasm there. The, yeah, we... <laughs> the, 
The it one, was interesting to say the least. All right. The one flight we had, and I think anyone who's listening to us that is a close family relative or friend yeah. will know exactly what we're talking about. The experience we had on one of the flights um, in my bag and, and, yes. and Justice Parker's bag on the flight yeah. that it wasn't horizontally placed under the seat in front of us. And we had to secure the straps. We still don't know what that means. I don't know what secure the straps means. But we were, I mean, it, it caused a, it caused chaos on the plane to the point where after after the flight was over, we had people coming up to us be like, hey, I'll meet you at customer service. That was insane. Let's just say you guys made a name for yourself. <laughs> I guess you so. You really na- made a name for yourself on that particular flight. And that poor guy sitting next to me who passed out with his, uh, you know, catching flies with his mouth wide open. And then as we're coming down, uh, in making our descent, the stewardess comes over and starts shaking the back of his chair to wake yes. him up so he could put his back of his chair up. So listen, not all flight attendants are going to be. Can I stop you right there? Great A. <laughs> Can I stop you right there? Yeah. Before we get into this, just because it's going to make me feel better, Joe Galloway. Thank you. Joe Galloway Joe was the Galloway. name of the reporter who just recently passed away. Who he's he. He uh, is yes. in this great Vietnam and HD documentary that we show our kids, and, and yeah, has really he, passed along the love for the word cacophony. To yes, because he was describing the, the battlefield, right? A cacophony correct. of sounds. I looked it up because it was bothering me. And then, and then you take anything now that has a mixture of yes, potpourris or noises. Yep. I always use that word. Thank you, Joe Galloway. Yep. All right. Wow. All right. So we don't have to wait till after break. Ooh, this is great. I feel better. Now we can really enjoy your episode. So sure. It's all you. From flight attendants to the word cacophony to Joe Galloway. Just another episode of the Missing Chapter <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. So this is uh, from simpleflying.com. They, they did a, a nice job of, of working up the history of this whole thing. So from the intro, we're, we're looking at the, the history of the flight attendant. And I, I actually started um, my research based on the first female flight attendant. And then what ended up happening was through my research, I stumbled upon this guy that I, mm-hmm. I, I could not get enough of. Um, so the, the first female flight attendant, not to say it, we're taking a back seat. However, um, this technically is the first flight attendant, and his name is Heinrich Kubis. He was a German who, in 1912, work, uh, excuse me, worked as a steward upon the Zeppelin flights between Berlin, and I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to take a stab at this. No, I think you should. <laughs> take a stab at it, Phil. Hey, I'm going to sound angry, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harness my inner German. All right, fine. Friedrich Scheifen in southern Germany. I'm pretty sure. I don't Perfect. know. Perfect. I have no idea. But So in between those two cities. So he's on these Zeppelin flights. Okay. Right? He is the first flight attendant in 1912. Okay, so first passenger airships, uh, airships operated sightseeing trips between Berlin and that other city in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um by D-Lag, which is a, a, essentially a company in Germany that would, would offer these flights. Okay. Very extravagant, and it's usually flights that only the wealthy could afford. They're sightseeing trips that lasted between four and nine hours. And if you imagine some of these trips, not a ton of passengers. This okay. is not your typical commercial airline flight like you would have in 2023. It's about 20 passengers that could be carried in the cabin. But you would be along with the mail and cargo in the same area. Okay. Airships suffered from horrible turbulence. There was tons of noise from the engines. And it was not so comfortable for passengers. Uh, because the pilot had to focus so much on flying, what I would consider would be like a Model T in the air. Mm. You know, very mechanical, rudimentary, early on technology, if you could call it technology at all. 
Uh, it's essentially like a Model T with wings in the air. And, you know, Phil, as you described that, I think, you know, here we are in 2023 where aviation has, it, it's, you know, listen, we've we've learned from, from what's happened in the past, just like anything else uh, with regards to transportation. But there's a certain level, I don't mind flying, but there's a certain level of, of nerves, I guess. Of You're course. aware when you take off and when you hit turbulence and yeah. when you land. I can't imagine doing that in what you're describing. Right, right. Like, and, were and people terrified? People were terrified. And this is this is actually part of the part of the process of, of having stewardess, having flight attendants on here. So if you can imagine that kind of putt-putt Model mm-hmm. T-esque visual, okay. um, this is why the pilot and the co-pilot were so important. The, the pilot had to focus so much on keeping this thing afloat in, in the air sure. that all of his attention had to be on just, hey, I'm just flying. All right. The co-pilot then would be responsible for serving the passengers food and drinks. So it was not the the flight attendant. It was actually the co-pilot. Hey, and are I'm you s- good here? I- yeah, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm <laughs> we're in survival mode. But go ahead. You can go serve the, the passengers. I'm surprised they're even worrying about that at this point. Correct. Correct. Like a, a flight, I would have assumed, would just been, hey, we're getting from point A to point B. Yeah. We're not even concerned about serving. And and what I'm what I'm thinking, too, is, is this, you know, as we're watching... As we're watching Elon Musk taking space uh, into the next frontier here, mm-hmm. and we're, we're looking at people that are exploring space for exorbitant amounts of money. You know, could this be, you know, a hundred years difference or so? Right, right. This is kind of what we're seeing now. We're uh, you know, I can't believe the co-pilots would ever be worried about that if they're flying through space. But I don't know. This go. is kind of kind of similar, I, I would say. But during the flight, the co-pilot would leave his controls. Come back to the cabin to care for the passengers. He he would hand out box lunches. He would take care of those who became frightened or airsick, mm-hmm. which, according to my knowledge, was pretty often. Yeah, uh, air sickness was very common because the planes flew at about five thousand feet, and at that altitude, you can imagine the air has got to be pretty rough and bumpy, um, and it would you know be very very bouncy. There's hardly any aerodynamics to these things. Um, which would make, of course, a very bumpy ride and, and inevitably make people sick. It also alarmed the first-time passengers. In 1928, a German airline added a third crew member, which was a steward. His main duty was to care for the passengers. This allowed the co-pilot to stay with his job of helping to fly the plane, which seems completely logical. Right. Why would you not start at that point? I don't know, but this is the process. These early, quote, airlines looked for a way to make the experience more comfortable. So they needed someone to help out with some of the luggage and food. And Heinrich Kubis officially became that first flight attendant in the world. He was born in 1888 in Germany. He worked his way up as a waiter, which would have, you know, I think that's a perfect process to become uh, the first flight attendant. He trained in some of Europe's uh, best hotels, including the Carlton Hotel in London, the Ritz Hotel in Paris. He had a very strong knowledge of languages and protocols from his experience. So he was he, he was the perfect person for this. Yeah. Uh, so he was hired by DLAG to work in the restaurant on the airship. And some of these huge airships would have at least enough space to what we would at that point consider an air, a restaurant. It was essentially like a little corner of the of the uh, of, of, like a corner space in this aircraft okay. serving out food. It's not what you would consider <laughs> the business class of a you know United Airlines right, right now. So the LZ-10 Schwaben in March 1912 was the first Zeppelin airship, uh, that uh, one of the first Zeppelin airships that he would be on. The Zeppelin airship, that LZ-10 that he was on, though, 
exploded oh. on its way to the hangar. So this is something they, they've flown this a few times, but obviously with with the nature of the Zeppelin, a uh, lot of lot of risk involved. So on its way to the hangar, here's what happens. It was being placed in the hangar when a huge gust of wind broke it away from its mooring. Now I had to look up what a mooring was. It's it's a, like a vertical structure. It's really weird. You're gonna have to Google this to really understand this, but it's a vertical structure to hold it in place while it's being stored. Okay. It sometimes. It's almost like the tail of the Zeppelin would be pointed straight up towards the sky to keep it from flying away. So the tip of the of the Zeppelin is tied down to this vertical structure. Almost looks like the Eiffel Tower. Okay. The the mooring holds it in place. Hey, I think we're ready. The hangar's clear now. Let's grab it. So they would have to somehow maneuver it, let some of the air out as, as you would a balloon, of course, and they would then they would move it into the hangar. So in 1912, June of 1912, being placed in the hangar, this huge gust of wind takes it away. The hydrogen was ignited by a spark and started by static, and the airship burned down to the ground. There were 30, anywhere between 30 and 40 people that I could tell that were injured in the accident. Heinrich was uninjured, but he did help prevent deaths. He got the injured, the help they needed, and that caused a promotion to be chief steward on the new Zeppelin LZ-129 airship airship named the Hindenburg. Sure. Unbelievable, right? That is unbelievable. So this is yeah. this is one of those things where I start on a certain area and I, I I'm like, wait, he was on the Hindenburg, and it was the largest airship ever. So DLAG was the first transatlantic passenger airline and began operating flights from journey, Germany to the Americas in the 1930s. The airship would carry 97 people in total, including passengers and crew, and this was considered the fastest and most comfortable way to travel. It was pretty lavish. Um, so on the 3rd of May, 1937, the Hindenburg left Frankfurt, Germany for Lakehurst, New Jersey in the United States. Heinrich had been ill uh, prior to the trip but had recovered enough to make it. His job was to manage a 15-male crew on board who were waiters, cooks, and cabin stewards. He was also responsible for the meal prep and service. One of his tasks, checked uh, with boarding passengers if they had matches or lighters with them. Oh, jeez. Um, as if they had to be, you know, they had to be confiscated. And the trip was scheduled to take three days. There was really poor weather. The landing was delayed. The airship caught on fire. Huge explosion. For those of you that don't know the, the history of the Hindenburg, and the aircraft was consumed in less than a minute. At the time of the explosion, Heinrich was working in the dining room. As the aircraft approached the ground, and by the way, they were, it was falling at a rate um, about 30 seconds. So it, it fell, I think it was about 200 feet in about 30 seconds. So it was pretty rapid. He encouraged the passengers and crew to, to just jump out the windows, you know, full abandon. He helped some of the passengers jump to safety. How? I don't know. That is unbelievable. But unfortunately, some of the passengers were trapped in the cabin. There was about 13 passengers uh, and 22 crew uh, fatalities. So of the survivors, there were 23 passengers and 39 crew, and there was one fatality on the ground. But Heinrich escaped the disaster without injury, which is unbelievable. And he passed away eventually uh, much later in 1979. And after the break, we'll focus on the other first flight attendant, a woman by the name of Ellen Church, the first female flight attendant with really another interesting past after this word from our sponsors. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome back from the break. You're back with the Missing Chapter podcast here with Phil Schaff and Phil Horinder. Phil, there's so many different things that uh, that kind of stood out to me. And I guess, you know, if anybody here is an avid traveler by by plane, maybe you'll be thinking about this story next time you travel. Um but that's kind of where my mind is. And you mentioned the fact that he was kind of like the Swiss Army knife at that yeah. point. He was a steward. He was almost like early TSA, checking people for matches and things that might be an issue uh, safety-wise. But it's just the idea that they're doing this travel early on. Yeah. And these are the pioneers of something that now we've talked about this. Like, we talk, we, we take plane travel for granted. All the time. And the physics behind it. And the people involved, um, it, it, it's just, it's amazing when you stop and think of it. So, like, you know, these are the early pioneers, just like in any other field that we've discussed on the podcast. Yeah, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, uh, but but some of these some of these first flight attendants, they're even fueling the plane. Yeah. You know, the luggage, that you're, you're absolutely right. It's a great comparison. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're doing it all. But I, I think the, the rudimentary portion of, of flight I just... I don't know if I would have the guts to spend that kind of money, right? Knowing the risks and knowing just knowing that the pilot can't be distracted by anything. You don't have computer, uh, you know, generated images up on the screens or anything like that. You're you're fully mechanical at that point. There's mm-hmm. no assistance to help you land the plane to take off. It's just a terrifying time. But I guess that's what any pioneer does, right? right? That's, that's how we get risks. to where we are today. Correct. And, and you know, you, you're fortunate and you appreciate these stories because that's how we do, you know, I hate, for lack of a better word, take plane travel for granted. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. So the second of the uh, second half of this episode here is Ellen Church, which I mentioned right before our sponsor ads. She was born in Cresco, Iowa on September 22nd, 1904. So she's a very smart girl. She graduated from high school and trained as a nurse at the University of Minnesota. And then she went to work in a hospital in San Francisco. Her dream, though, was not to become a nurse, was to become a pilot. And her thought was that if, if she could make enough money in maybe her nursing career, that might give her enough money to get her a private pilot's license. So for someone who is, uh, just from what I could gather, a very personable person, obviously if you're going to become a nurse, you have at least that knack, Mm -hmm. um, which she certainly does. But that was actually a plan B for her. Plan A was to be a pilot. She she just was always fascinated by aviation. And then she used that nursing um, passion, I guess you could say, as a secondary passion in order to seek out her first passion. So she was hoping to get a job with with an airline as a pilot. She approached Boeing Air Transport, which, by the way, went down that rabbit hole. I got to do a secondary episode, <clears throat> excuse me, on, on Boeing himself. But the Boeing Air Transport, you might you might hear me say BAT. That's kind of what it was short for at the time. So Boeing Air Transport uh, was told flat out, hey, listen, I, we, we are not allowing any female pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sorry, but that's that. So the airline's San Francisco office boss, Steve Simpson, told Church that BAT planned to copy European airlines because they were the ones that were the pioneers and have male stewards as well. So male pilots, male male stewards on its flights. Very quick thinking on her part. She says, well, listen, Simpson, having a registered nurse, 
on board. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 That would help ease people's yep. fears of flying. And if there's any sort of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, damage to any one of the flights, I, I could be there. So sure. crazy enough, Simpson said, yeah, he would actually present her proposal to his superiors. He thought it was a really good idea. So he ended up agreeing to say, hey, I, I will at least consider this, bring it up to the superiors. I'm going to uh, maybe convince them to take eight women on for a three-month trial. And they did it. So here were some of the duties. Caring for the sick and frightened passengers, taking tickets, loading and unloading luggage, like I said before, helping fuel the plane, passing out lunches, cleaning inside the plane, tightening the bolts, holding the <laughs> seats to the floor. I mean, some pretty come on. Some pretty important things though. It's like cleaning <laughs> and tightening the bolts. How many just think of like the job specialization on a, on a certain flight. Right. Yeah, how many different jobs you see before yeah. you take off and like we had some mechanical issues. That's what, what delayed our flight to Nashville. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, so you have these mechanics that are working on the planes, right? Could you imagine seeing and having the comfort knowing like, hey, you know what? The flight attendants got this. There's some sort of mechanical issue that's causing this massive delay for 150 you know, passengers or more. But we see, the, we see the flight attendant with a wrench like cranking on some bolts. I, that would It's not reassuring. <laughs> it's not reassuring. And I figure, and, and as we were traveling, I think to myself, like, when do you get to the point where you're like, hey, this is good to go. I feel confident <laughs> in what I've done versus we might want to delay this one. I, <laughs> Let's not put this one up in the air yet because I'm not confident in, in what I've done or what I wasn't able to do. Like, I think immediately when I get, I don't know if anyone's ever seen the movie uh, Final Destination. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's terrifying. Where terrifying. He gets on the plane and he, he moves the little switch on yep. the uh, the tray table. Yep. It freaks me out every single time I go on now. But, and then you sit down and you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, Oh boy, this bolt! Yeah, this this uh, this is going to add to some add a little element of, of surprise and I angst to my flight because my my seat isn't bolted down. Just just thinking of like the visceral part of this flight, you know, like when you're on a typical flight, you have you have the noise of the engine, right? You have the typical <laughs> like they all speak the same, right? right those right, those right. are those things that that you just get from flight to flight. But for this one though. You have to think. You're hearing creaks. You're hearing, um, you know, bolts like stretching, and yeah. just I can't no, imagine. No. I can't imagine. At this point, I'm on the ground in a in a car or on a train. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, all right. So then the flight attendant. Here's another element of this. I'm like, you can't be serious. So the flight attendant <clears throat> is not only responsible for all those things. The flight attendant is also going to be there. To remind the people of which door to use during flight for the bathroom. Because on most, on most flights here, the bathroom door and the emergency <laughs> exit usually reside right next to each other. <laughs> That's dangerous in and of itself. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you're mid-flight, okay? You're getting a lunchbox from the co-pilot. And you... You're thinking to yourself. A lunchbox from the coal pilot <laughs> as your stewardess is, is using an Allen wrench to buckle your <laughs> your seat tighter to the floor. And your concern is <laughs> choose the wrong door and get sucked out 25,000 feet up. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, hey, just be reassured, though. They didn't go that high. It was only okay. 5,000 feet. 5,000 feet. Even oh, better. Oh, God. If that you know static electricity from when you sat down doesn't you know, right, engulf right. you in flame. Ignite the entire <laughs> cabin that everyone's in. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I got I to gather it in. 
So what's interesting though is that you have the the all the requirements for flight. You have all the requirements for the stewardess for uh, you know the doors. My God! All right, mm-hmm. so all these different things, but you have to be considered for a job to even get to that point. Okay. So. The woman needed to be a registered nurse. That was actually a requirement, thanks to Ellen Church. And at most, you couldn't be taller than five feet, four inches. Hmm. This is another one. You you had to weigh less than 115 pounds because the planes couldn't carry much weight. Wow. I mean, I always wanted that one, too. Like, they're going to charge you extra for Mm -hmm. more luggage. But like at some point, it's going to exceed the carrying capacity, right? So, like, whether I add 50 bucks to my ticket or not. Or Isn't even, that a safety thing? Even a full plane that we were on where the one gentleman wanted to move to an open seat and, and the steward said, well, let me check with the pilot because right. we have to worry about the distribution of weight on the plane. Yeah, true. Yeah. I'd never heard that before. Nope. Nope. But at least his seat was bolted down. Right. Ex- exactly. They also had to be single and less than 25 years old. Oh, wow. So the requirements just Jeez. to even get to that point where you're you know, wrenching on a bolt... On yep. the plane. It did pay well, though. For for these standards, uh, $125 a month for 100 hours of flying. For at that time, was was, was mm-hmm. actually pretty good. <clears throat> so on May 5th, 1930, Ellen Church became the world's first female flight attendant. Her first flight uh, was considered, she was considered to be the Sky Gal, all right, okay. as uh, BAT called them. And that was between, the flight was between San Francisco and Chicago. The plane used for flight was a Boeing 80A tri-motor, for those of you that are aviation historians. The flight carried 14 passengers and made 13 stops along the way. So you want to talk about uh, layovers. Oh, my gosh. People complain about one layover. Imagine taking 13. The three-month trial was successful, and all the Sky Gals were given full-time jobs. So the eight people that they said, hey, we're going to do a trial run, they all got full-time jobs. Other airlines soon followed suit. By 1935, there were 197 female flight attendants in the United States. And even though Ellen Church's pioneering effort had opened the door for female flight attendants, the job remained steeped in sexism, as some of the, the websites I thought worded this perfectly. Only girls with, quote, beauty pageant looks hmm. and outgoing personalities, end quote, were hired. And after seeing how female flight attendants were proving successful in the air, the New Haven Rail Line thought, hey, having them in the dining car would be a great idea, too. So then they followed suit. But again, they were hired for the looks. The girls needed to be college graduates and preferably have some experience as a fashion model. I mean, good Lord. So the airline uh, requirement that all female flight attendants would be nurses, that didn't last very long because here comes the outbreak of World War II. Okay. So that, uh, you know, it was impossible to find nurses at that point, um, especially if they wanted to work for the airline. So Ellen Church's airline career didn't last all that long. It lasted about 18 months. She had to give up the job because she was injured in an automobile accident. However, Church did not give up on nursing, uh, obtained a bachelor's degree from the University of Minnesota. But this this is pretty awesome. During the war, Church served as a captain in the Army Nurse Corps and later moved to Indiana to become Union Hospital's nursing director. So even though her nursing career was actually Plan B, it ended up being her Plan A. Quite the the life. Absolutely. An amazing resume. Uh, You want to talk? I'll add one more thing to the resume. Yeah. And I I honestly, I didn't delve too deeply into this portion, Mm -hmm. um, but from what I gathered, in World War II, she helped evacuate a number of wounded soldiers from Africa and Italy by airplane. So she actually combined both of her passions and her skill sets 
into one. So because of her experience working in hospitals and organizing the stewardesses, Captain Ellen Church was called to train evacuation nurses for the D-Day invasion of wow. France of 1944. Wow. Unbelievable. Okay. Yeah, it is. So for her, quote, meritous uh, achievement in aerial flight, she received the Air Medal, the European African Middle Eastern Campaign Medal with seven bronze service stars, the American Theater Campaign Medal, and the Victory Medal. Unbelievable story. Very, very accomplished. Her idea, of course, transforms the airline industry to the point where, you know, here we are in 2023. Uh, unfortunately, a horse riding accident ended her life in 1965. Church's hometown airport in Cresco, Iowa, is named Ellen Church Field in her honor. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Phil Horander. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.